0: I've chosen a number of names for strange reasons, so what are your strange reasons? I think it's,
1: uh, I uh, I like the all vowels thing. I like that it's kind of fun to say. It kind of just like flows out of the mouth. right? Uh, there's something fun about that. That's about it.
2: Does it have a meaning?
1: Not not really.
2: Oh, but you could say it does mean something, because it's actually Latin. Is it? It's a it's a nominative, accusative, vocative, plural of... Wee Womb. <laughs> and a, a wee one being what? The, the, that which is alive. I like that. Oh, well, that's
0: pretty nice. I didn't know that.
2: It lives.
3: Welcome to another episode of ArrayCast. I'm your host, Connor. And today with us, we have a special guest who we will get to introducing in a couple minutes. But before we do that, we're going to go around and do brief introductions from our panelists. We'll start with Bob, then go to Stephen, then go to Adam and finish with Marshall.
4: I'm Bob Terrier, and I am a J enthusiast. I'm Stephen Taylor, enthusiastic about
2: APL and Q. I'm Adam Brzezinski. I do APL.
0: I'm Marshall Lockbaum. I'm still a Singeli enthusiast, but maybe more relevant for this podcast. I'm the creator of BQN. And uh, in the past, I've been a J programmer and worked at Dialog.
3: And as mentioned before, my name's Connor. I am a polyglot programmer, research scientist by day and array enthusiast by night and by day, actually, I guess. And uh, <laughs> we have a couple announcements. Uh, we have two from Adam and then one from me. So we'll go to Adam first.
2: Okay, so um, if you hurry up, just as this episode comes out, then you can get a 30% discount on the entrance to LambdaConf where Aaron Sue will be doing some APL. Uh, If you don't hurry up so much, then you'll only get 15%. But we will have in the show notes links to both of those um, reductions in the price. And then there are still a couple of weeks left to the download 23 user meeting that's the 15th to the 19th of october in denmark and what's special now is that all the um, program is up so you can see titles and abstracts of everything that's going to be there sort of interesting stuff have a look you can still make it
3: awesome links in the show notes and my announcement if you recall back in 2022 I think it was late August, September, there was a dialogue run meetup in both Toronto and New York where we had a couple different speakers. There is going to be a 2023 edition of just the New York or just the Toronto version on October 2nd, which I believe is going to be two or three days after this podcast gets released. So if you are listening to this, Within uh, 72 hours of it's being released, and you happen to be either in or near Toronto, and you are free on Monday night, October 2nd, Uh, there will be a meetup. It's taking place downtown Toronto, very easy to get to via transit. And there's going to be, I think, four different speakers. This is off the top of my head, so if it's wrong, I apologize. I believe Richard Proctor, who is local, uh, he is going to be speaking. And then both the CTO and CEO of Dialogue Limited, a.k.a. Warren Kronberg and Gita Christensen, are going to be speaking, as well as myself. And there's going to be a social afterwards, I think around 8.30ish. Uh, so even if you don't want to come for the APL talks, I'm not sure why you wouldn't want to come for that. Uh, but you just want to show up to the social, you can also do that. So links will be in a meetup.com Link in the show notes. With all of that out of the way, today's guest I am very excited to talk to is Kai Schmidt, who is the creator of, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, the Wiwa language, which is spelled U-I-U-A. Uh, so I definitely would not have guessed that. And if I, I mean, Kai's going to fill us in on his background, but this is a, I think, a, a Ray and stack programming language that is implemented, I think, entirely in Rust, which uh, makes it even more interesting because I don't think I'm aware of any array languages that are implemented at you know any level in Rust. I think most of them are just implemented in C uh, that I know of. Anyways, I will stop there, throw it over to Kai. I'm not sure if you want to start with sort of giving us a, a, be- uh, a brief background or introduction to yourself. And then we can hop into talking everything about this Weewa language, which looks very, very cool. Thanks,
1: Connor. Yeah. So my name is Kai. I've spent most of my career in the construction industry doing various auto, making automation tools and things like that. Um, I don't actually use any array languages um, in my day to day, or I, I didn't use um, really any at all before I started listening to this podcast. Um, I'm actually an avid listener. I've listened to most of the episodes so it's many many more than once um and so a lot of what you guys have talked about here has really inspired a lot of the well for one it's been a lot of the material i've used to learn about array languages and it's also helped me make a lot of the decisions um because i kind of fell in love with the paradigm um i think i i first heard about apl i think in in college but i didn't um it it wasn't from someone who was into APL. It was just part of like here. Oh, here's a bunch of languages, and here's what they're all like. Um, but later, I think it was a few years ago, um, I saw a post on Hacker News about this language called BQN. I was like, oh, what's what's this all about? And uh, when you go to it, and I don't know the the, the editor and and I don't know, Marshall's writing and stuff, um, it I was like, whoa, why have I never why have I never seen this before? This is so cool. And my first instinct was like, this is such a cool idea except I don't really like this and this and this. I'll just make my own. Um, that didn't come to anything. That didn't That didn't come to anything. That, that was a while ago. That was a few years ago. Um, um, so I, I think once or twice I've tried to make my own. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm kind of a language enthusiast as well. I like writing like um, interpreters and stuff. And so finally, when I started starting to write WeWa, um, I had that name that I'd come up with a few years before, but um it wasn't even going to be an array language. Um, what I started with was uh, it was it was definitely a combinator language, though. Um, the idea being that a bunch of uh, combinators would would be first class, like operators, and uh, that you, that you could compose um, kind of these combinator primitives into like higher order uh, combinators. So you you have these basic ones like your hooks and your forks and things, and it'd be ways of simply composing them to take more than more arguments than that so that you could do full tacit programming. Your guys's episodes about tacit programming, I think oh, well, those are my some of my favorite ones and those are the ones I wanted to or that, that's what I wanted to try to, to try to shoot for. Um, I, like, I really like the idea and the beauty of just having having your data just flow through a bunch of functions and not have to worry about variables or scope or any of that. Uh, and so that's kind of been the driving um, design principle behind we so that that's kind of a background of, of how i got to this um
3: all right i've got i mean a thousand questions i mean but should we should we let i mean i feel like we should let Marshall have the first question cuz you know it's he has uh, inspired this whole you know i don't know what we call it, journey in language with bqn and and i guess well i'll steal the first question when you saw the bqn post was this pre arraycast or was this wall arraycast had already started
1: i don't remember i what i do remember is i, I listened to the start listening to the arraycast i think a few episodes in and then as i listened to it more i was like wait a minute this Connor guy sounds a lot like that YouTube channel I've subscribed to, uh, Code Report. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. It's got to be the same guy. There's no way.
3: <laughs> yeah. i realize realized that sometimes I don't mention often enough that I have a YouTube channel and I'll be giving a talk at a conference and it, like at the 75% mark, I'll show a thumbnail from one of my videos. And then, you know, a couple of people after will be like, oh, I didn't realize that was your YouTube channel. Like you didn't, you never mentioned it. And I was like, oh. Like, I thought I did. Whoops. Uh, anyways, if there's people listening, I assume they know at some point I mentioned it in the podcast. But anyways, back to Marshall. What's your first question, Marshall? Uh,
0: well, I have to ask about the name, I guess. So you said you you came up with the name before even um, coming into the array paradigm. Yeah. Um, I've chosen a number of names for strange reasons. So what are your strange reasons?
1: I think it's uh, I, uh, I like the all vowels thing. I like that it's kind of fun to say. It kind of just like flows out of my mouth. We right? Uh right? There's something fun about that. That's about it.
2: Does it have a meaning?
1: Not, not really.
2: Oh, but you could say it does mean something because it's actually Latin. Is it? It's a, it's the nominative, accusative, vocative, plural of we wum. <laughs> and a, a we whom being what? That, that, that which is alive.
1: Ah, so those that which are alive,
2: those which are alive,
1: I like that. Ah, oh, well, that's pretty nice. I didn't know that
2: it lives, it lives, yeah, something like that. It could like make a, a a free translation to it lives
1: um, I could talk about actually the kind of the history of like the design iterations I went through and how you know, how I came to think about array programming and tacit programming and things. Well, so the thing that
0: I'm curious about, which I think probably should wait until we've gone over that stuff, is actually the the array model. Because I know you started with a flat array model, and you went to oh,
1: I saw, I I started even earlier than that with other stuff. I'd I'd love to talk about
0: that. You're currently on a non-flat array model, which yes, sa- seems to be different from all the others. So that that'll be very interesting to hear about.
3: Yeah, take us back in time to the beginning and and tell us the history of how you got to.
1: Yeah. So. It wasn't originally it wasn't originally an array language. Um, it were, like I said, it was a combinator language. Um, then I, then I, as I started like getting more into like the array paradigm, I was like, oh, I could, I could do this. Uh, so I started with the easiest thing to implement, which is of course uh, non multidimensional arrays, kind of the, I believe the more of the, the k-type model uh, where things are still ranked polymorphic but uh, a multidimensional arrays of vectors of vectors. And then I was like, I think I think I could do the whole shape-based flat array thing. Um, and so then I started I started implementing after after reading the um, the thing on the BQN website about the based array model. Um, I was like, oh, I'll try I'll try implementing this. Um, and so I did, and it was very complicated, at least at least I found um, because you had to do checks for okay, is this an array? Or is this a scalar? You have to write different cases for different things, and I also find it kind of hard to reason about. And so I, I simplified it to a just a f- flat array model, like APL three hundred and sixty style, no nesting, no nothing. What I did have in that model was the this, this idea of um, fill values. So there are special values for each type. For for floats, it's for n- regular numbers. It's like nan for for characters. It's the null character, etc. And this value would be present in arrays to simulate having um, like jagged arrays, um, ar- arrays where like the rows are of different lengths. So for for functions like group or partition or or um, just splitting things up, anytime you could have an array where each or a matrix or anything that has different lengths, um, you'd fill in the ends with uh, these fill values. And so while you still have a nice square or rectangular however many dimensions arrays, you could still uh, have this non-homogeneous length data. And of course, this creates, you, you waste some memory here, but I kind of liked the, the simplicity of it. Um, what was not simple was putting the checks everywhere in the interpreter to um, properly handle those fill values. Uh, And it also had the unfortunate side effect of for a byte array. So, and which I had had byte arrays because I wanted to be able to efficiently read in um, files. Uh, For a byte array, it had the unfortunate effect of making the bytes two bytes long because there's no value between zero and two hundred fifty-five you can use to indicate this is a fill value, Um, and so it ended up being two bytes long because you had to have an it was basically a, a union or an enum. And I could have there there might have been a way to do it such that the the fill status was stored separately, like a bit mask or something. But I decided I I I didn't really like how it was working. Uh and so I moved to something and, and you, you talked about how it's not really like it's kind of different from all of them. And I guess it is kind of what I settled on is kind of different, but it's close more most closely related, I think, to, to Jay's model, um, where everything's flat. Um they're not actually boxes that you can put the arrays in. Um, they're actually there's only three data types. There's um, numbers, characters, and functions. And so the equivalent of J's box is actually just a constant function, a function that return that just pushes your value to the stack. And so there, there's a you, there's a function called constant, which if you say constant one, it creates this function that returns one. And then of course there's a call function, which is the equivalent of J's like unbox or or I think for APL is like disclose. Um, and so you have this simplified model, kind of it unifies it unifies boxes and functions and things. And I think it's it's fine. It works. Um, I I do want to explore further the idea of simplifying the model further. I do like it, it's nesting. Have, being able to have nested arrays seems very necessary um, inherently in, in trying to solve problems. I would like to explore ways of making it so it's not actually necessary. Just because I like the the elegance of the flat arrays, um, but that's something that's something I'd have to I'll have to investigate more.
2: Well, it clearly isn't necessary because, should we say, in APL's heyday, it wasn't possible in mainstream APLs, and that's when people were making money using APL. So,
1: I'm curious then. Like, I don't know how did they? If you wanted to do something like say, say, I wanted to just. Um, split a string into the words in the string and they're all different length and I want an array of that how would you do that in a
2: you'd be very clever you you start off by finding the separators I suppose right and then you can compute how long the segments are and that allows you then to expand with filaments at the end of each segment and then you reshape into a fixed column width I see
1: yeah so i kind of ha- so before i actually had something like that but that has the fill elements right um each row gets gets um appended with fill elements and i currently i do still have i don't know if you guys have seen it there's a there's a modifier
0: well and to be clear they would just use spaces they would <laughs> so this is not always safe for like if your data had spaces in
2: it
1: hmm.
0: you you may not end up with the best code for working around that i see
2: there's also the issue of the separator right what if you it has the separator in it but i should also say why do would you want to split it
1: I, that that's what i'm trying to answer i'm, just, I'm just trying to think like is there a way to not split it is there a way i can solve problems i'm trying to solve um without having to do things like split it so like i don't know say i wanted the counts of every word in some corpus of text things like that
2: there there are all kinds of clever algorithms
0: i, I i'm sure yeah well for counts you don't even need to be have to be a uh, that Good. What you do is just take all the indices of the separators and subtract the index of the previous separator from the current one. Or, well, index of the next separator, probably. And that gives you all the lengths. Um, There's a very nice paper that... You're saying you index your array separately and and work on the indices? Well, you find the indices of every separator that's in your big string with everything together. So you say, where is... This separator and the next separator and the next separator and the length of a segment well I think you have to subtract one too but it's the it's just the number of characters in between the two separators um there's a really nice historic paper by Bob Smith uh that's I don't remember the title exactly it's about operations on partitioned arrays which has for for a lot of more complicated stuff like if you want to sum each uh segment of a of an array or something like that. It has a bunch of operations that you can do just purely using flat arrays, um, where you'll take in just a list of all the data and a boolean list that has a one where each segment starts, and then you can do. Um, there's you know reductions, there's scans, um, all sorts of things, and they all require you know slightly different techniques. But there's kind of a if you it, once you get used to this style, you can kind of think of how you would do it for even something that's not covered in the paper. Uh-huh. Yeah.
3: I think I think Kai's point though is it's a good one like there's a lot of small you know leetcode-ish interview-esque problems like you know given a given a sentence you know separated by spaces return a sentence where every word in that sentence is reversed and like in a language like haskell you can just go words which splits it into into your you know each each word in the string then you can map reverse and then you can unwords and like put everything back together. And like, you can clearly do something in APL, which is the equivalent of like a scatter or gather where you figure out, you know, each word and then create the indices that you would, you know, I don't actually, what's the operation with indexing called in APL In like in NVIDIA programming, that's called a
0: like selection.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So like you could technically rebuild up a string with uh, the right indices that are the basically reversed indices of each string, but like implementing that to do that in like an array language without actually just splitting, reversing, and then unsplitting is a lot more complicated. Like you can make, you can make it happen, but, uh,
0: well, it'll end up looking pretty short because I think it's, um, you find the word starts and then you take the sum of those and then you do the grade down and that's it those are your indices
2: there are all kinds of, of these old techniques that were found for all kinds of flat things and w- yes maybe it is shorter to and, and maybe more you can call it more elegant to do it the nested way no I don't think it's more elegant <laughs> <laughs> in, it's in Haskell in Haskell it's more like it's definitely more but, elegant uh, but but the flat way is much more sympathetic to the hardware. This is true. Doing it in yes. the nested way yeah. is terrible from the computer's perspective. It's nothing you it can really do to make it good or fast. But as Marshall always
3: says, do we even... I mean, I don't believe this, but do we even care in perf? You know, like, uh, that's the... I saw that uh, uh, Wiwa uh, has Windows, and I was like, you know, it's... Uh, I don't actually know the extent that you have support for the different combinators as in like, you know, SKI, Combinatory Logic Combinators. But I was thinking, wow, if this is like a stack, you know, BQN with Windows, this is a contender now for like a one of my top five favorite languages. Because famously, BQN does not have a Windows function, which uh, which is very, very sad.
1: Wait, are you sure? <laughs> oh, no, wait, sorry. Uh I think that's where we
0: got its Windows function.
3: Wait, wait, wait! I, I misspoke. It doesn't have the NY's uh reduction.
0: Yeah, that that's true.
3: You have to do a you ha, you have to do a reduce over each of the lists created by Windows. Is that the same with WeWa? Yeah, wrote
1: yeah. Um, okay, um,
3: never mind. You're 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 out of the running. I.
1: <laughs> and- that's that's actually in the in my list of to-dos for optimizations because currently, if you do that, it materializes all the windows. Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. And treats it
1: separately. I, I do want to put like a uh, an optimization in the interpreter that says no. If you see this pattern, yeah, do it smarter. Uh, I would like to talk about the the com- doing combinators though, um, because in moving to I forget why I even thought oh I could make this a stack oriented language, but it turns out that with just some very simple stack operations they can be composed and generalized to most of the combinators you're familiar with um so something just some, something as simple as composite composition is implicit right just putting one function after the other it just they're just composed immediately and it's, and it's and it's not just like the bluebird and blackbird it's every level of of composition right um so you're i forget what the other names for those are but you know what i'm talking about connor all the birds.
3: yeah yeah so bluebird is uh just composing two unary functions blackbird is composing yeah
1: and, and and doing both those compositions is ends up being the same in a stack language and something like flip so so flip is is one of the functions in were and it just flips the top two things in the stack um, but just combining um, duplicate which just duplicates the top item and makes a copy of it on top of the stack combining duplicate and flip by itself by themselves um, these can make um, the self combinator the flip combinator um, I think both hooks, uh, both left, left and right hook. Um, you might need a little more to have dyadic hooks.
0: Yeah, well, at some point you got to like duplicate the top, but then flip below the first element.
1: Yeah. So th- there's also there's also the over function, which takes the second item on the stack, yeah. and copies, makes a copy of it to the top, and so with just those three, you can make most of them. Uh, I have a couple extra things to do more complicated stuff. Uh, there's also like roll and unroll, which works with the third. It'll either move the top uh, roll, moves the top item on the stack down to down two places, um, and unroll takes the third item on the stack and moves to the top. I'm not copying, just moving it. Um,
3: so that's similar to like the R O T R-O-T, rotate. Yes, um, yes, it would be in in like languages like forth and joy. Also, too, we should. Uh, I mean, I'm following around along perfectly, partly because I did the the language tour, and also partly cuz I spend all my free time uh, thinking about combinators but maybe we should we should rewind a second uh, uh Kai you can explain to the listener how does um or maybe maybe even we can go back a little bit further like how did the stack part cuz you said you don't even really remember how you know you ended up first seeing BQN you know thinking about combinators but then you ended up with a both a stack language and an array language so maybe uh if you want to if there's a story there to tell or you know maybe not uh, you can tell that and then also explain to the listener how does uh, function assignment and like uh, applying functions work if if folks aren't s- cuz like in order to understand how you get implicitly for free like the b and the b1 combinator i think you need to understand how functions work in a stack language like uh Weewa.
1: yeah so i think i was aware of stack languages uh, much before i was aware of array li- array languages So yeah, in in a stack-oriented language, every function manipulates a global stack of values. And in general, you pop your arguments off the stack, do some operation on them, and then push the results back onto the stack. And so this is why um, you get composition for free. So if you do something like, um, if I wanted to find the negative, uh, take the square root of a number and negate it, I would just say, okay, square root function, negate function, that's it. And because each of those pops its uh, inputs and pushes its outputs back to the stack, they just it just composes naturally. And so th- this is really nice for for tacit program because you, and, and a lot of the times you don't have to name your your variables and things. It does get complicated when you need to refer to more than say two arguments. Notoriously, uh, it can it can get very complicated with juggling lots of values on the stack. And I've I've tried to come up with ways to mitigate how weird that gets Um, but this is kind of an old paradigm it's very simple to write um, a compiler and interpreter for because um, the computer does have a stack in it kind of and so it's it's actually a very old paradigm as far as i understand uh, with the original languages being some things like fourth Um, there's there's more modern ones like factor uh, which does have like variable assignment and things like that yeah but that's the idea and so that's already it's already a pretty terse um, paradigm, And so combining that with array, the array paradigm, which is also very terse, um, kind of comes together to make this very, very terse language.
3: Yeah. And I th- I actually didn't really think about this till now, but I think one of the differences with wewa compared to array languages is that the arity of all your operations is fixed, correct? Which is... Yes. Which is an... Yes. Sounds like a small thing, but it actually leads to interesting things you can do with the language because there's no ambiguity of is this a unary or binary or monadic or dyadic function, it's the arity is fixed. Uh,
1: Yeah, that was when I remember. So when I was first learning, um, reading the documentation for BQN, I did find, and I I found this also reading like um, APL and J code, is that I did find it kind of hard as a learner, as someone who's like new to the array paradigm, um, saying like, okay, what is this greater than? Is this, is this, or what is this less than? Is this dyadic or monadic what is what does this do that'll definitely slow you down
0: even as an experienced user it's like you're looking at this sentence and it's like you haven't figured out what the parity of everything or the arity of everything is yet and then and then it all snaps into place but you know there there doesn't have to be that step
1: yeah you end up having to like bind in your mind each glyph two different meanings that you that your mind has to then parse through the expression to figure out which which one to, to use in that case um, so yes, in, WIWA, and, and actually I don't think you could have, um, what do you call it? Ambivalence, right? I don't think you could have, um, ambivalence in, in a concatenative language, or concatenative being another word for kind of the way that you write stack oriented code, because there would be no way to tell which, what its valence should be, if it should take one or two arguments, uh, because everything is just, uh, the function It always, in most stack languages, you write the functions after their arguments, um in way you write them before. So if you wanted to add one and two, you write plus one, two. So what, what ends up happening is that for every um, for every built-in function you need, for everything you want a glyph for, you need two different... What, what would be one symbol in, in APL or J or BQN um, ends up being uh, two symbols. And so, I don't know, something like, I know in APL and BQN, you've got one glyph that represents both the concept of reversing an array and also rotating it by some amount. Um, and so in WeWa, that's two different two different glyphs, uh reverse and rotate. Um, the other thing that makes it different to write is there are no there's no special keyboard bindings basically to to write the glyphs. You don't you don't do some escape code and then type a character on your keyboard and that makes the glyph. You type the name of it um, or like the prefix of the name of it, and then the formatter turns that word into uh the glyph. And so this makes it easier to write without any special support. And it also lets you, by just learning the name of something, you can write it.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a novel. Like, I don't think there's any... I mean, there's very similar things in the Ride EPL editor where you, with some kind of backtick, you get the, you know, the conversion. But there, there's always something extra. There's, I, don't, I don't know of any of the languages that or an editor that you just type it, and then when you hit run... It, it
2: unicode-ifies your <laughs> your code how does that work how does it disambiguate between user-defined things and built-in names uh,
1: there are compromises that come with this approach so the parser is um it is a context-free grammar well i don't know about grammar it's a context-free parser um there's no semantic analysis done the grammar is just like sequence of terms right <laughs> for the most part um we can get into how like modifiers and stuff work, which is like the one precedence rule that exists. But yes, it is mostly just this term, then this term, then this term. But disambiguating that from user-defined things, um, the answer is that if your um, user-defined term looks has the same name as a built-in one, it gets parsed, it gets lexed as uh, the built-in token. And so you must capitalize your username.
2: So you use capitalization as as a disambiguator, yes. but names are not otherwise case sensitive, or what? Names are not case sensitive. Okay, so the first letter, kind of like what BQN does, but it, using that as for something entirely different.
1: uh I- any letter actually, you can capitalize any letter. If you can
2: capitalize any letter, <laughs> then it's your name. If it's all lowercase, it's built in.
1: Yes, um, although although you can if you like, and maybe this is something that needs to get changed for the once I care about once I start caring about um. Uh, backwards compatibility, which I don't yet. Eventually, it might have to be the case because currently, all, an all-lowercase name, if it doesn't get recognized as a glyph or a, as the name of a built-in function, um, will be interpreted as just a regular identifier. Um, that does create barriers then for backwards compatibility if I were to add more built-in functions, of course, because what, you th- what was originally an identifier might become a different kind of token.
2: That's the like same answer. as oh, Basically, the same thing is... As... The answer to people, why can't we just allow people to assign to glyphs in these languages? Because then it becomes impossible to... be be backwards compatible with that things, yeah.
1: Well, wow, well, I didn't think about that because now because I don't, you don't just have to do names. You can all identifiers can also be single non ASCII glyphs. So if you just want to make up your own glyphs and make them functions, you can. Um Maybe that's not a good idea.
2: Wait, so accented characters are are symbols?
1: Currently, yes, yes, they are. <laughs> uh, actually, no, I, I take that back. Um, It has anything that's non-alphabetic.
2: Oh, okay, that's different than ASCII.
1: Yes.
0: So it actually does like a Unicode lookup?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, Rust has built-in. Yeah. So the, yeah, the interpreter is implemented in Rust. So Rust has uh, stuff for that.
2: Well, so so can I get one thing clarified? So you can store your source code using the ASCII names. Is that correct?
1: Oh, yeah. So binding, like binding, name, the naming functions and constants and things?
2: No, no. I mean, you're saying there would be a, a problem of, compatibility if you were to introduce some new built-in and somebody had used a lowercase uh, name. but that sounds like this translation from um, ASCII names to the symbols happens at runtime and not at um, some kind of definition time or earlier stage, which means that it, it does that means we can store you can store we were code, as just ASCII text without any Unicode glyphs at all, right? and then run that.
1: Um, it's stored. in, It's expecting the input to be in UTF8. Um, so, no, the 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 turning the um, the names, turning identifiers or or sync or strings of um, strings of, of characters into tokens, turning the ones that look like names of glyphs into those tokens is done at in the lexer.
2: Sure, but that, that's after writing the code, right? Yes. So I could potentially write all my code using just English words and no symbols whatsoever.
1: Yes, you could. Um, and then when you run the formatter, it'll turn it into that. Yeah, this is not usually a problem um, as long as you format your code. I, curr- I don't enforce that you format the code, although it is recommended and the default. You could just write code that's all all the names of all your functions are ASCII and just pass the flag that says don't format.
2: But but don't for me, it. it sounds like you're modifying my code. Surely once I've developed my application, I can run it and it doesn't change my source code when I run it.
1: Oh, it abs- it abs- it changes your source code when you run it unless you tell it not to. It turns uh and
2: what if my files are read-only or on a CD? <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah,
3: details, details. That doesn't matter. Don't don't make your don't make your code files read only. Uh, you know?
1: I haven't no, that that's a good concern though. I actually haven't thought of that. And, I don't know, whenever I write code I have control of it but I haven't considered those um those cases so that's good to know
2: it, it makes it very unique in having a programming language that changes your source code when it runs it the first time and...
1: yeah I guess I, I'm very used to using um a formatter in whatever language I use yeah um, which it's, be- it's safe.
3: becoming the default of of all languages like it started with go and now you know rust even 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 languages that don't have them built in almost. Like I refuse to work for a team that doesn't have a, cause like you just end up in so many arguments over formatting. Like you can get rid of like 90% <laughs> of like, uh, you know, code review arguments by just choosing a formatter. it's like, I don't even care what the, like, I might disagree with the style, but I just don't want to argue about it. Like I'd rather not argue and be unhappy with the way the code looks <laughs> than, <laughs> than, than have to argue and, and try to be happy. Sorry. What did you link there?
0: I link to uh, Vigil, which is a and a leader in this field, I believe. Um, what it does is, uh, if your code has errors, um, it deletes them when it runs. So, when when the program finally runs successfully, there are no errors in the code.
2: <laughs> well, it it will it does this recursively, we should say, right? So, if any source file has has an error and it, it gets deleted, then it, re- it reruns, and then you do that recursively until no more errors present themselves. <laughs>
0: I don't know what it does if your source is read only. <laughs> Never considered that. So, yeah,
2: I, I wanted to go back to because we
3: we kind of went on a little mini history of how the stack uh, part got added to uh, the array part of your language, and and so hopefully now the listener, if they rewind when we were talking about you know the B and the B one, which correspond to the the bluebird and the blackbird. Um I think those make those are pretty easy to grok your head. And so and so also just for the l- listener the way that at least that I understand that functions work is that if you you can just assign uh a sequence of functions to a function and because there's no data or arguments there it is just that's going to just basically be like a mini stack. So if you if you assign two unary functions to a function that is implicitly the B1 combinator because it'll
1: yeah, so, so what it does is it takes you whatever you say, um, I don't know, if I say F and then left arrow and then a bunch of characters, um, it looks at those characters and it does some analysis and it says, okay, how many in, in, in aggregate, um, how many values is this going to pop from the stack and how many is it going to push? And if it pops any more than zero, um, it gets bound as a function. If it pops zero, then it gets bound as a constant and is immediately evaluated. So if I say X arrow one, then then X is one. But if I say X arrow um, minus or negate plus, it's a function that adds two numbers together and then negates the result.
3: Right, because the arity of plus is two and the arity of negate is one. And then that is an example of an implicit B1 combinator where you're composing the blackbird. You're composing a, yes. a binary uh, and then a unary after that. So what I can't... Well I that I'm not certain how I would do is you mentioned that you can do things like the uh left hook or back hook, or I guess they're in J it's called hook, and then I introduced the back hook, which correspond to the S combinators and uh,
0: that's I the programming language.
3: <laughs> yes. Uh the Marshall's first language uh where he was exploring uh, you know, combinators. So that would involve that involves a, a binary operation a unary operation. And then my guess is you're going to be duplicating. So you're going to be using your.
1: No, for the left, you're talking about the left hook, Uh, left hook or, or, or what? what? Left hook's the simpler case actually. So left hook looks exactly, we will looks exactly the same as composition. Um, so for example, if I wanted to, I don't know, what's a good left hook example? Um,
0: palindrome. So
1: yeah, palindrome.
0: Per- perfect. Well, so it depends on how many arguments you're taking, right? So the, you're talking about the left hook that takes two arguments, right? So it doesn't duplicate one of them.
4: Uh,
1: no. So oh no, sorry, sorry. No, you're right. The left hook would usually involve a duplicate.
0: I'm I'm talking about
3: the 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 s combinator where uh, the composition returns you a unary function. Um, so you're given a binary, a unary, and it applies the unary to your argument and then takes a copy of your argument as well and passes those two to the binary function. So in the in the palindrome case your binary function is match yes. or as they call it an APL or like in Haskell or something, you'd have to, you know, you'd compose that, but it's checking what the equality of two strings, your unary function is reverse and then you compose that somehow so you get that pattern. So I guess, can you walk us through yeah. both the hook, which is the S combinator and then the back hook, which they both do the same thing, but it's applying the unary operation to either the first or the second argument.
1: Yeah, so the, the left hook is, is the simpler example. So in the case of say palindrome, um, there's three three functions you use. You'd use duplicate, reverse, and match. And so you take your value and you use duplicate. So now you've got two of them. Then you do reverse, which reverses the top one. Then you do match, which checks if they match. That's it. So it would be spelled match, reverse, duplicate, since it, the code runs right to left.
3: So interesting. So in this, I'm visualizing this as like, uh, so h- how did you spell it? It's, rever- it's Match,
1: reverse, duplicate, and then code runs right to left.
3: And then, so say you pass the value or say you pass the value, uh, taco cat, um, and then you duplicate that. So then you end up with taco
1: cat, taco cat on the stack,
3: taco cat, taco cat. And then the top one, maybe you want to use an argument.
0: That's not, it's not a palindrome.
3: Yeah. 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 So, okay. We'll just use cat. We'll just use cat. So you end up with cat, cat. And so visually I'm, I'm in my head, I'm spelling this equal match cat, cat. And then the top value, is that like the, the value on the left? Technically
0: it's not, well, it's you can think of it in whatever direction you want, right?
1: Yeah, it's left, left and right kind of break down.
3: Yeah,
0: that's true. So really
3: you should just separate your, your stack of functions and your stack of arguments or is that not a good the, way to the, think the about function, it? The function,
1: no. Um, so the code runs just always right to left, right? So if you see the duplicate first, it takes your cat and now you've got two strings on top, cat and cat. And then the next function reading right to left, is reverse. And so one of those gets reversed. So you know, you've, on the top of the stack, you've got tack, And then under that, you've got CAT. And then finally, reading right to left, you see the match function. And the match function pop both of those off. It says, are these the same? No, they're not. And so it pushes your, your zero or your false back onto the stack.
3: Interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to visualize, like, when you have a, a, a sequence or a stack of, at the top of your stack is multiple arrays. And then you have a function of arity that is less than that number of arrays which which array is that applying to and it's always the top it's always the top one so technically you could be calling a function that is you know the fourth uh thing in your stack but it's applying to the top array so it's kind of skipping and ignoring
1: no sorry the functions in 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 general or in most most cases the functions themselves don't go on the stack the functions are in the code and they operate on the stack Um, you can put functions on the stack functions are after all just arrays but they they're also executed but in general unless you're doing like a modifier or something they don't actually go on the stack interesting
3: okay so that makes sense and then in the backhook example
1: yeah um that came up actually when, when Marshall was looking at it. Somebody was asking about how to do the um, uh, matrix multiplication. And in the matrix multiplication, basically you have to – before you multiply, you have to transpose the second argument, right? And so this ends up being – I. is that what you mean by a back hook, like a right hook?
0: A back hook being so in, instead of – It sounds like it to me. So, so your transpose is the monadic part of that backwards hook. Yes. And it's weird because I is – left to right so it's it's hook and back hook are
1: going to be swapped around all right so but yeah for the right hook basically um i i think the easiest way is to just do two flips so you do yeah you do flip and then your monadic function and then another flip to put it back down and then your by your dyadic function
0: although so if it's a one argument hook you start out with the duplicate yes. you don't need a flip after that so it's flip then it transpose maybe or duplicate, transpose, then flip, and then your two-argument function.
1: Yes. So it ends up being that the, the only difference between, say, your um, monadic and dyadic hooks is going to be whether you have a duplicate at the at the end or at the well the beginning.
3: Okay. Hopefully the listener's following along. This makes sense. The, so the final question at the end of this uh, combinator rabbit hole is: Are you able to code a higher-order function that Um, saves this pattern that so you know having to spell either a couple flips or a duplicate um, is definitely going to be less ergonomic than you know the single glyph that bqn has for for uh, those things so could you could you spell a function that as arguments takes functions
1: yeah the syntax for modifiers so in, in in APL these are operators. Um, in J they're they're adverbs or conjunctions. Um, I think BQN also calls them modifiers. I think that's where I took the name. Yeah.
0: From. Well, J actually calls them collectively modifiers, but that's pretty rarely used over adverbs and conjunctions. You miss you miss the opportunity, Kai, to new language, new word for it
3: because we
1: <laughs> <laughs> new, new name. Yeah, Marshall, correct me if I'm wrong, but in, in BQN functions, um, one modifiers and two modifiers are all different types. Yes yeah. so so in we, they're all just they're all just functions. The only thing that's different between them is um, how they're parsed. And so glyphs um, glyphs that are modifiers um, will parse the because even though the language runs right to left, the parsing is left to right. And so if it sees a modifier like say reduce, whatever the next glyph is will be interpreted not as something to be called immediately but it's something to be called within the modifier. So if you do um, slash plus, which is the same as say APLs plus slash, that plus rather than immediately operating on its arguments to the right as it normally would, will be part of the um, reduction. You cannot um, define your own, you can't name things and then have them be parsed as modifiers because since the, since the grammar is context-free. Um, and so what that means is that if you have your own thing that wants like a higher order function, um, something that's going to take a function as an argument, you have to wrap whatever your function is, whatever your the the code of your function is, in um, parentheses. So that it won't be called. So so parentheses, rather than being a grouping construct, um, in as it is in most languages, um, because you don't need to group anything ever, um, parentheses lets you define inline functions. And so if I do say plus one, two, that adds one and two. But if I do parentheses, surround the plus in parentheses, now I've just got a, a two on the stack, a one on the stack, and a plus on the stack.
0: Yeah, so I think this answers something I was wondering about when you mentioned that um, when you do assignment, it'll turn it into a function only if it's taking arguments from the stack. Yes. Um, I was wondering, you know, how do I make a uh, function that takes no arguments, but still does some computation when it's called? And the sounds like parentheses are the answer there.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, this is this is very cool. So it's
3: you know, we, we might have lost a couple of listeners. Don't worry. We'll skip. We've got a new I've got a new line of questions uh and and topic conversation in a couple of minutes. But this is uh it's it's very cool. It would be the equivalent of in in one of JAPL or BQN kind of having just like a reduced set of uh combinator uh glyphs, you know, whatever they call them. And so in this case we kind of have not just B So, like in other than J, because J uses uh, S as the two train, but in APL, at least, you know, Dialog APL and BQN, they use the B combinator as the two train. Because of the fact that this is a concatenative or stack language, you actually get B, B1, B2, B3, basically what is B underscore N, because the juxtaposition of any two functions, regardless of arity, just means you're going to call those in sequence. So, if you pass, you know, a a, a, a function that takes three arguments. Uh, that's going to be the equivalent. And then a unary after that, uh, that is, I think they call that the Bacard or the bunting. Um, they they only go up to, you know, B is bluebird. B1 is blackbird.
1: There's only so many birds.
3: Yeah. And then, then they ran out of, I think, uh, <laughs> birds that uh, start with B. But yeah, Bacard and bunting, I think, are like B2 and B3. Uh, you get that all for free. And then you have flip, which is the C combinator, Uh, you've got dupe, which is the W combinator. And then you've also got, I think the other one you call duplicate, which is the one that duplicates.
1: Well, well, there's dupe, there's, there's flip and there's over. Oh, over. was the one that, uh, over is a name taken from like stack languages. Right. Where it copies the second value to the top. I don't know if there's a, if there's a normal combinator name for that.
3: Yeah. I'd have to look. That one is a, it's a little bit different. Um, but but with that sort of, uh, that small set, You can then spell the other ones, which is kind of similar, I think, in Dialog APL. They don't have the equivalent of uh, the back hook or what is called, you know, left in BQN. But you can spell it with, you know, uh, a combination of, you know, the W Combinator and and I can't remember if it's the D Combinator. Uh, Anyways, it's just a very, uh, it's very, like... I don't know at least for me, it's like a fun intellectual exercise, like understanding what you've done in Weewa, and uh, yeah, I'm definitely gonna highlight it and I, at some point, I'd like to give a talk that's like uh you know the different ways that you can spell combinators in different languages, and like stack languages um i I don't really think it mentioned that much, and now I have the perfect language. I don't actually have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Array language land, <laughs> I can just go to Wiwa and then poof, I've got my stack language. And uh, yeah, and, and it, it might yeah.
1: seem weird to like, to, I don't know, maybe the listener, whoever, like, why do you need all this stuff? Um, and the answer is because Wiwa does not have named local variables. So you cannot give names to things that are not global. Uh, not even like um, Alpha and Omega or in um, and BQN, and, like the X script w um, and so I, at one point i did have like um defund style um but basically you could in, you could type special letters in um, and it would correspond to say the if you typed a it'd be the um the first argument b would be the second argument and i just didn't like how that made the code look i didn't like doing that um and so i took that out and so now everything is just fully tacit um, and what I'm trying to explore with the language, I think, is – because you guys have talked about tacit code a lot and how it, when it gets too big, it gets, it just gets unwieldy and complicated. And so what I'm trying to explore with the language is how to make it not that way. I want these kind of like data flow type operations, or, 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 and actually, and in fact, all, all code um, in my language to just – to be that way, to, to be this like pure – um, beautiful construct. That's, that's my goal. H- how, how much I reach that as the language currently is, I don't know. You can look at some of the expressions and you're like, what, what's going on here. Um, but I don't know. Some, some of the other um, modifiers I've added um, address some of the uh, more complicated things you would have to make. Yeah, that's awesome.
3: I mean, I, uh, I, for a long time, have thought it's a kind of a shame that this space isn't explored. Like, the different ways to implement or to call combinators like the stack um stack languages provide one kind of avenue array languages provide another avenue um you know the fa- the fact that the fixed arity versus ambivalence like that affects your design choices but like in languages like python c++ java like having parentheses like kind of just you can't really can't really do much in that space, and that is like ninety percent of the languages. And I've even looked for papers in like academia that you know explore the different ways to you know invoke functions and and combine functions. It's, it doesn't really exist that that I can find. I mean, Haskell is another you know uh, functional language is another space, um, and they they do odd things because most of their combinators are implemented via operators where you define a precedence. That's a part of like defining an operator is like you choose the precedence uh, between zero and nine. uh, But function application.
0: uh, I did basically the same thing in Singeli. Although you can choose any number.
3: Oh, really? And well, it's the thing in Haskell, they the the 10 is always function application. So there's no way that you can define a operator that has higher precedence than function application, which is also like a design choice. Like you don't necessarily need to have that. And I think in BQN, it's quite interesting that you have the ability with like the underscore uh, underscores of like defining your one and two modifiers and that like affects. Anyways, it's just a, it's a very interesting space and it's awesome that you are, you know, you've done, you've created this cool language and are exploring that. And I I hope the same way that ArrayCast inspired you uh, or at least partly inspired you to go and, and create WeWa, maybe someone's listening to this conversation now and thinking, wow, if Kai did it, I can do it too. And uh, we're going to have all these cool languages, you know, competing, in, uh, you know, some, some, some arena in the future, you know, like, I don't know, there's some Pokemon or Digimon show. There doesn't
0: have to be only one winner though. I must point that out. (laughs) I mean, that's a big deal. It's great to, you know, be able to go in all these different directions and maybe you say, well, this feature is great. This feature is great. They don't go into the same language, but we have two different languages and you can choose one or the other.
3: And I, I think it's awesome too, that your language, like, I don't know, an array language, I guess maybe Nial counts. Um, but most array languages, including BQN BQN that get created that are based on sort of APL and J, J inherit the, um, ambivalence, the, you know, every operator has both a, a monadic and dyadic definition. And that I think is like a huge, it's a huge choice that affects the language and potentially can make it a lot harder to learn, a lot harder to read. And, uh, and yeah, wait. What with Q? Doesn't Q not do that,
2: or try to not do, or encourage not doing that? I'm not really. I'm never really sure. What I mean, K. It's Q is just K, right? No, not in this respect. I think no. Isn't it that Q replaces all the magnetic forms of the of the symbols with words instead, and therefore they are separate? Uh, I guess that's true. I mean, every word built-in function
0: has fixed arity. Now that I'm jogging through all the different functions, like there's so this is also true in I think most cases at least it's, but I mean it's, it's still trying to give you the ambivalent syntax over it all. So what happens is that you have the syntax that's resolved when it, um, when it's parsed, and then after parsing, everything has only well, I mean, and there are some weird caveats to this, but as far as I understand, everything has only one valence after it's parsed um but i mean it's still it's trying to fit into this model of you have you know your infix and your prefix functions and so i mean basically the apl design and i mean q might be kind of different from that yeah i
3: think it's just yeah it's, it's interesting though to see a language that doesn't adopt that because you know who knows maybe that makes it way easier to learn and
0: like yeah well so if if i can comment on one thing that I that was just thinking about this episode, um, one really interesting thing about the stack paradigm, which you've used for the combinators, is that every, um, every operation that you have can of course take multiple arguments, but also return multiple arguments. So that's what the flip does. It takes two, returns two. Um, and I was thinking that like even one thing that I brought up on the array cast is that actually instead of having scan and fold be separate, um one really nice combination is that you can take the function um and your list of things to scan and what you return is both a scan um an exclusive scan and a fold so you get the two things together and I mean those together like if you want an inclusive scan then you shift the exclusive scan over and you add the the fold element to it so that's a shift function but for a lot of other things, like if you're if you're using it for race rides or something, that's just kind of the natural form. You want both of those together. Um, and another common example that people probably know is the division and modulus. For a whole lot of algorithms, you want to calculate division and modulus at the same time. And in APL, you know, you have to do two different functions. Um, I mean, I guess there's a thing that you can use with encode and dialogue, but it's not that nice. So yeah, just a comment is uh, one interesting thing to explore would be you know, array functions that return two things and see if there, there are other constructs that are that allow you to do more natural array programming that way.
1: Yeah, I've only got... So there's only one other than those like flip and I guess over technically takes like two arguments and returns three, right? Um, and sort of like roll, roll and unroll, do three and three.
0: Yeah, I mean, but those are just stack manipulation. They're all kind of the same. Yeah,
1: but the only one that actually I think returns two is Gen. Uh, and gen is not a, it doesn't have a glyph. It's, you, you type g g e n, and that's it. And that generates a random number based on a seed. Um, but that returns, it pushes the random number, but it also pushes the next seed that you can feed to the next call of gen. Um, that's the only one I have that returns two things other than the stack functions, I think. Um, the, there actually is a little bit of ambivalence in some of the functions. So... Um, in particular with, actually with the modifiers. So some of the modifiers, not very many, but a couple of them do something slightly different depending on whether the function you give them um, takes one or two arguments. So the the ones I'm mainly thinking of are group and partition. Um, And so group was inspired by uh, BQN's group. And then I looked at the uh, APL BQN dictionary for, oh, how do I do the partition in BQN? It's It's this long thing of how do you like, Group things by sequential keys, um, and so I just add an, a partition one too. But both of these basically they'll they'll they in one way or another um, split your array into segments um, based on something. So by group, it's by, uh, by grouping things by an index, and partition, it's by sequential sequences and another array. It doesn't it doesn't really matter. But basically, um, if you pass part, group or partition a a dyadic function, um, it acts like a reduce. But if you pass it a monadic function, it acts like um, like a like an each or like a like a rows or uh, a cells um, something that it that builds up a new array basically, um, and I, that's that's what I've settled on for now. I don't know how much I like that, um, but it makes it more flexible and it makes it you not have to um, nest quite as often. Interesting. I was going to bring up. Uh, I, I, it's kind of funny we haven't talked about it. the one one thing that I, I am proud of for the language is the uh, the audio and the images. Oh yeah, yeah. I could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So built into the online interpreter, and then you can also do it in the in the native interpreter. Um, uh, you can create image data if you make um, say an array of pixels. Um, they can either just be grayscale, or they can be RGB or RGBA. If you make an array of this data, you can uh, it it can on the web interpreter it'll just show you the image of what that data represents um and so you can do something similar with audio where if you make an array of the audio samples um it'll just give you a little player that plays that audio for you and it's cool cuz you can do these math
2: operations
1: to generate waves and things and you can compose them in different ways um to create cool images or audio or whatever you want
2: and how does it decide again whether or not my data represents sound of images
1: yeah so on on the web interpreter just because it's trying to present the language to you um it just does a check like oh can it, does it make sense to convert this to audio data and is it above a certain size oh then it's audio and otherwise it's images well well if it doesn't look like image data then do it an image if it doesn't look if not then it just does a normal array um on the native interpreter if you're actually just trying to run it run it on your machine um you have to explicitly call functions to do that um, so there's like an audio play function, an image show, an image encode, so you can save it to a file, things like that.
3: Yeah, it's very cool. I think it's similar to what, um, was it John Ernest did with? Uh,
1: I I remember that one. Yeah. He did it with K, right?
3: Yeah, his implementation of K and had some similar kind of web IED um built into his version you could very quickly get some sort of graphic stuff which is makes it like very very fun to play with uh and uh yeah you are now the the second uh kind of language that does that and yeah it's definitely fun to to play around with it on the web id um,
1: yeah w- one cool thing i also added and it doesn't work on web i don't i don't know how i would make it work on the web but on native um, i have another function called uh, audio stream which basically you give it a function And this function takes in an array of times and you return an array of samples. And it calls that function over and over again with uh, progressing times, and it will just play audio forever. And what's also cool is that in in, uh, further invocations of of the interpreter, it keeps the time that you're on. And so you could almost, what I'm going for is kind of uh, almost like a digital audio workstation is that you can modify these functions. And then as you, as you say that it, it picks up the music right where you were, or picks up the sound right where you were, um, and continues playing with your modifications.
3: Yeah. That's super neat. One of the, one of the questions too, um, I know we're past the hour mark, so I'm not sure how much time we have to, to chat about this, uh, is the fact that you've implemented this in rust. Yeah. And I'm curious, cause you said you've, always been interested in implementing interpreters. So like, if it was a number of years ago that you were doing that, have you always been doing this stuff in Rust or ha- were you doing it in other languages and, and sort of what was the path to Rust and how have you found um, implementing a, a language in Rust and would you recommend it to other folks out there?
1: Yeah, um, when I first started um, like working professionally, I was working with um, C++ uh, and this was about a couple of years after I think Rust hit stable. And I started using that, and the company I was—I had a lot of freedom to kind of work with what I wanted to. So I started using Rust, and ever since then, I've used Rust whenever whenever I could for projects. I just like the way the fact that it's one—it's fast. I can make an interpreter as fast as like a C interpreter could be theoretically. Um, but also the the type the type system a lot helps me with a lot of stuff, and then the macros. So uh, especially for something like array code, array code is array interpreter code. Is like notoriously macro-heavy, from what I understand. Yeah, and so the WeeWoo interpreter uh, uses a combination of macros and um, traits, which are like the like hask like type classes in Haskell, um, and it, it uses these together to, to make it so that um, your functions can be implemented on every type of array. But yeah, so I, I, I mean, professionally, I, I, I program in uh, Rust and also some C sharp, uh, but it's kind of my go to language for for most things
3: interesting yeah it's very cool that uh there's now a i think actually there is i have seen a rust bqn vm i think implementation or the start of some implementation
0: yeah that was never finished um we do have like a binding from so if you want to run bqn and rust what you have is uh just a binding to cbqn that calls into the c interpreter so that's kind of the preferred way now which puts a damper on you know anybody wanting to do something for rust embedding
1: yeah writing a um an array language interpreter is is an interesting exercise especially with a lot of the algorithms you have to write uh i think some of the hardest ones for me were um like windows or multi-dimensional windows um is is, is complicated um and and by extension a multi-dimensional find yeah um, I think I don't I don't know if that's what's called in BQN, the one where it like puts uh ones wherever it finds instances of your of your array in another. Um and then I don't know, things like like take can be or multidimensional multi-dimensional. Take, take is like astonishingly hard for what it does. Yeah. <laughs> no, like one like just taking one dimensional take is simple, right? But as soon as you get multiple dimensions in there, it gets it gets complicated.
3: That's the thing. For folks out there that want to implement uh a little array interpreter, like honestly, it's very similar to a stack. Uh, language as well like if you just stick to scalars <laughs> and rank one uh you know vectors it's really honestly pretty straightforward especially if you're coming from a language with a decent either you know library ecosystem or standard library like a lot of the operations in apl just map to algorithms in c plus plus so if you're not worried about efficiency you know you can just naively call those do a bunch of copies all over the place and you're good to go but as soon as you skip up those higher dimensions <laughs> it can be you know i don't know how many interpreters i've written where i just sort of stopped at you know rank one for most operations i did a couple other products and stuff but then never have i implemented like you know the higher higher ranks for an uh you know glyph like take or something like that because it just hurts my brain
1: yeah what's, what's weird about it is it's, it's a very different way than you normally write code because normally you know the dimensionality of the code you write so you just write a couple loops that go over this dimension or or, th- or these items or whatever. Um, but when you're writing that the looping array code, looping over items in dimensions, and you have to like also be looping over the dimensions and things. And it gets, it gets really complicated really quick.
3: Yeah, it is. Uh, I remember looking at April, which has is implemented in common lists, if I recall. And the implementations there are it's very interesting because like a lot of them are just super super simple (laughs) and then you look at you know the the most complicated uh functions and yeah i definitely i think i recall take but there there are some pretty elegant you know you think oh this is pretty complicated but then um you know i'm not a scheme or list programmer but that code is is it's pretty nice and pretty easy to read um all right. I feel like we're we're past the hour mark. I do have one last question, but I feel like also I've been I've been asking a lot of the questions. <laughs> are there are there questions from uh you know other folks about Weewa? No, no. All right. Well I'll I'll take the last one then. Uh which is I mean I will we'll you know leave links for folks to check it out. But how uh you know how much um, buzz is this? Have you posted this on the hacker News or the Reddits?
1: I have not. Um, uh, I think Marshall actually pointed it out in the discord that no, I have not posted this in a single place. Um, this is actually my, the first like public uh, discussion. Of really? It. How
3: did I, how did you and Marshall end up crossing paths? Were you just, did you ask him a question? Or? We didn't. I don't know. How, Marshall, how did
0: you find it? I don't, I'm I'm not entirely certain either. It, either you followed me on GitHub and then I checked your profile or I did some search for BQN
1: and, and ran into it. Ah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, so it is public on GitHub. Um the the best resource for information on the on the language is wewa.org, u i u a.org. Um so it's got a full uh interpreter and it's got uh tutorials, language tour and all the tutorials have the built-in interpreter embedded inside them. Um which I think is a cool way to present it. Um it's mostly inspired by BQN's website. Um I do so it's all public. It's it's mostly at a point where I, I'm happy with people seeing it. And giving input, because I, I do, I would like feedback on actually using it for things. Because um, the, the most cut I've written or the biggest program I've written is an HTTP server, like a very basic one. Um, I specifically made it good enough to serve the website itself. Um, but I would like feedback on what, I don't know, on whatever, honestly.
3: I'm not sure, you know, Hacker News is a <laughs> is a dangerous, I mean, so is Reddit. Uh, I wouldn't, is it dangerous? It is, you know, they're kind of like the, you know, dumpster fire corners of the internet that, uh, you gotta, you know, if, if you, if you are not, if you did not grow, if you were, I can't remember born after certain, but like, you know, certain people I've talked to, they'll, they'll post something and then they're like on YouTube and they're like, oh my God, people are so mean. I was like, don't you know what like YouTube comment sections are? Like, you can't take that stuff seriously.
1: (laughs) Uh. I think, uh, I think our programming language would be pretty kind. That's, That's probably where I'll start. There yeah.
3: uh, are nice places, but I would be interested to, I think, I think something like this would, you know, I, I'm biased though. So I, I obviously would click the up, up vote button, but um, yeah, I, I would be interested to see, uh, you know, if BQN gets, you know, a certain amount of traction in APL, uh, I'd be, I'd be interested to see folks, uh, folks thoughts and just like, you know, get, get more people aware. Uh, and also too, if you are listening and you are also like Kai, who has a programming language that you have spent an immense amount of work on that is, you know, totally usable. It's like way past the leak code stage, which I'm thinking already about making a YouTube video because, you know, that's basically all I do on my channel is I just solve YouTube uh, leak code problems. So if you've got a language that's you can solve a couple leak code problems, it's good enough for me. Uh, but if you are if you listening thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I should uh, plug my language, we would love to hear about your uh, array languages if you're working on them um because yeah like i i you know clicked on uh, your website this morning and i was like holy smokes like this is this is a full-blown thing like i had no idea that it, it was out there which is why i was kind of asking like H- how did i how did i miss this and the answer is is because you've you've never plugged it anywhere
1: <laughs> yeah well this is this is my this is my official plug check it out
3: all right well unfortunately you know i don't i don't how many listeners do we have bob do, do we know you know, I don't
4: um any given episode usually gets around eight hundred to a thousand downloads.
1: We're not at the uh, million listener listener. We're
4: not at the million listener yet. All right. If, well, uh,
1: it's all right. The, the the listeners of this podcast are my target audience. So. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, and if they want to get back in touch with us, of course, contact at arraycast.com. And we can forward any questions or comments back on to Kai, although I think if you go to wewa.org, there'll be ways to get in touch with him more directly. Um, Super cool uh, language, really interesting. One thing I noticed, you were talking about your pursuit of tacit, um, that you run into the same issues. As soon as you go left to right or right to left when you want to do modifiers, suddenly you have to start using parentheses to group them. You just really can't get away from that, it seems, because the same thing with J is it's right to left except for modifiers which are left to right because you've got a long left reach. And, And you have to do that just because... The, that's the way you, you have to be able to separate them from the standard functions. Anyway, that's my little bit. Contact at ArrayCast.com, and, and this has been super cool. And you have done a lot of work, and I'm, I was really impressed with how advanced the site is and how far you can take it. Um, just for, for a language starting out, it's, it's quite remarkable. And it does remind me of BQN as well.
3: Thanks a lot, Bob. Yeah, this, awesome, this conversation has been I've, you know, this is awesome. Like, I've been, I've been so entertained getting to ask you questions and, uh, I'm excited to, to, for our listeners to hear. And I'm sure they'll have, um, you know, some exciting thoughts to share and hopefully they'll go check it out. And, uh, you know, maybe in the future we can have you back and get some WeWA updates. Uh, and it is, it is a very,
1: yeah, that'd be great. I'm, a- I'm also on the APL farm, Discord if anyone wants to just oh awesome is there a WiiWa, is there a Weewa channel no i think the index here was there i was talking about a little bit i would just use the main one
0: okay
3: all right yeah so if you want to reach kai as well apl farm will have a link in the show notes for that discord uh and yeah, like, uh, we'd love to have you back in the future and chat again. Uh, I feel like we probably could, I mean, I definitely could have asked, you know, probably an hour more worth of questions, but we gotta, we gotta dice these up a little bit. Uh, otherwise, you know, our, our listeners are going to be like, what is going on a four hour podcast? Although there are other podcasts that have, you know, three to four hour conversations, but that's not us so Anyways, thank you. I'm,
4: n- I'm not editing those podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, maybe uh, maybe at some point in the next few years, we'll get some LLM editor, you know, that we can save Bob a lot of work and uh, and, and have that stuff automated. But uh, we're not there yet. So we, we thank Bob for all his hard work and uh, doing all the heavy lifting. And also, as well, Sanjay and Igor are uh, hardworking, trans- transcribers uh the,
4: the transcription team sanjay and igor yes they do a great job
2: they they fix what the lms can't do exactly yeah <laughs> we still need we still need
3: uh you know humans are still important for the moment um <laughs> anyways thanks so much for coming on kai this this has been awesome and uh yeah yeah it's been great looking forward to to talking to you again in the future and uh you seeing where we goes so with that, we will say Happy Array Programming. Happy, happy, array. happy <laughs> array Programming.